Good morning. So the scripture reading is Genesis 2, 21 through 25. So, so, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God man, er, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, This is now my bo- now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall, be, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Thank you, Daniel. Great to see everybody today. Getting a few more in. So that's always good. And uh, getting a little bit more back to where we can all gather together. I know there's still a few spots, so a few more can come back in. Uh, One of the things that Joel mentioned that I want to encourage you to is the Fridays in October, we're going to be having a prayer time here. And so let me encourage you, October 2nd is the first one of those. Look in your bulletin, it gives you details about that. You'll get more if you come to the building, uh, but the, the video and things like that will be available online, and certainly you're able to participate with that. We have talked for the last couple of weeks about how Jesus holds things together. And the first one was about creation and how he holds all of that together. He holds atoms together. He holds gravity together. You don't have to worry you're going to fly off when you walk out the door and you're not going to float away. You're going to be able to get to your car. It's still going to be on the ground. And so because Jesus is holding everything together, he has that. It exists and it is there because he is taking care of it. And the Bible describes this as an active thing that Jesus is doing. Not only did he create, but he holds everything together. He holds his church together. And we see that maybe as a difficulty today because there's a whole lot of things that are going on. And we seem to be having more trouble with each other. And I know that's the case because this is just a trend that I see. I have no scientific data. But every time we stop reaching out and going out and doing and start getting where we're focused more inward, we have more trouble. And the thing that cures that is for us to be looking out and looking for what we can do and looking for how to make other people happy. Because as soon as we focus on ourselves, we say, well, I'm perfect, but I don't know about you. Well, we're not so perfect either. And so we recognize that and realize that, you know, there's got to be some times when we're able to do this. Didn't mean to preach the old sermons. I've got one for today. So we want to talk a little bit about how Jesus holds marriages. And the passage we wanted to look at is from the very beginning, from Genesis, where we see that in the very beginning, God puts people together. And so he had created Adam, formed him, and then because he wants Adam to be impressed with who his partner is, puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib, fashions Eve, brings her to him and says, this one is yours. Don't you wish God did that today? 
You would never get the wrong wife or the wrong husband, right? Of course, you might be disappointed when he says, this one is yours, and you're looking around, what other selection do you have? Uh, no other selection. This one is yours. And if we just get that concept, that'll be important for us to understand. And so God created that, and God created them to be together. And it's the way things progress, because he says, I want you also then to leave father and mother and hang on to each other, to cleave to each other. And so when you're looking at how this works, it's a matter of everything else, all other relationships are gone, and you just stay with this one. Well, it was easy for Adam and Eve, right? There was no father and mother, and after all, there's only one to hang on to, and so there isn't anybody else, and so it makes it a fairly easy choice. It's either her or none, and I think Adam and I think God must have done a good job creating Eve, and so there's not a problem there. It all comes from God. God gave Adam one wife. He gave Eve one husband. That's the pattern we see in the beginning. It all comes from God. It says they're naked. It says they're not ashamed. There is some intimacy there. There is some trust there. They do not feel any shame with each other, and they lived happily ever after. Well, at least until sin came along. And when they are separated from God, it changes the happily ever after. That principle is still true today. When we lose contact with God, it changes the happily ever after in our marriages, in our other relationships, because we forget how to act. And that's just part of it. It might have been easier back then. It's harder today, right? Because there's more divorces today. And so it must be harder today. After all, there was one wife. There was less choice. There's one place where you live. There is one job that you go to. You don't have a choice in that. You're in the garden. You live here. You eat here. This is it. And so God didn't give them a whole lot of other choices. Well, let me just suggest if you're married... There is only one choice. You might as well recognize it as being exactly the same as it was back then. You have one choice. And so you have already made it. There's not a, another good choice for you that exists. There is no others. Now you might feel sorry for the person that you're married to that they have to put up with you and now they're stuck with you. But you are the one who chose, and you are the one who said, I promise. And that's part of what happens. We chose, and you chose well. Look at how good you're doing. Just remember that. Just realize that. And sometimes it's difficult for us. Current divorce rates are down. Here's the current divorce rates for 2020. First marriages is between 42 and 45 percent are going to end in divorce. Second marriages is much higher. It's up to 60 percent. Third marriages, why did you do this? I mean, 73 percent said, you know, this isn't going to work. And so it seems to always go up because once you get used to it, 
I suppose it's easier to do. Now, why are they down? I imagine divorce rates are down because there are less marriages. There are less people getting married, and the time when they are getting married is much older. I know when I first started, there would be people who would come to me to get married, and they were 18, sometimes before that. And they had to get parents' permission because they needed to be 18. And so it was 18, maybe 20, somewhere around there. Now it's almost, the average is 30. And so there's a lot more getting married a lot later, which should say they're more mature now. And so possibly that's a way that divorce rates are down. Also, I think people just move in together and they don't get married. And there's no stats on that, on how well that works. But I would say it's worse than any of these as far as people who then will move out. And so marriages are in trouble. We recognize this. We see the times where they're falling apart, and so what happened? Well, how could you expect them to survive anyway? I mean, really, how would we think that we could put two people together who love each other and who have promised to love each other and who have made even more promises than that and who have shared things together, who live in the same house, who have the same children, who share activities together. They're in most of each other's pictures. The selfies are of them being together. They know each other's passwords. They like each other. They love each other. They find ways to express that, and they have shared words and ideas. How terrible. Well, no, wait. Wouldn't that work if you had that? Isn't that, well, maybe that's the other side of the question. How can that possibly not work? If you have that much in common and you have been careful to get to know this person and to be able to relate together and to be able to share these things, how would it be difficult to hold them together? And yet it is. Look at divorce rates. How would that be difficult to hold them together? Well, it just seems staggering that 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 would be a problem. Well, here's a couple of the things that I hear. One is, you're not the same. People change. They develop. They become different. They're not the same now at... 40 that they were at 18. Or if they don't get married till 30, now they're 50 and they say, well, you know, you're not the same. Well, no, I'm not the same. I've developed, I've grown, there's a different personality, there's a different part, I've become a different way of dealing with things. But hopefully all of those are better ways of dealing with things. So we don't all stay the same. We develop and sometimes we develop differently. And we have different interests. We get tired of the same places. And maybe even we get tired of the same people. Because we thought, well, they're just like this. They're always like this. No, they're not. They are growing and they are developing and they are changing. And you better get to know the new one. 
Because you're never going to be married to that same person. There's a new person that you're going to have to learn to get along with. Because we do get tired of the same thing. And so we'll say they aren't who we married. No, they're not. You should have known that. Expect them to change. It didn't turn out like we thought it would. Well, you weren't thinking right in the first place. And so now is here. This is where you are. And so can you make this turn out better? Can you do something with it? Well, this is not what we signed up for. Yes, it is. Till death do us part, you signed up for this. And what I want you to know is Jesus holds together people who love each other. And that's where you started. That's where all of this began. And Jesus is able to hold together people who love each other. Of course, you may be thinking Jesus said love your enemies too. And uh, no, that's not the reason for this. He holds some people together who love each other and want to be together. If we stop following Jesus, then he doesn't hold them together. I think we lose contact with who Jesus is and with how that relationship should work. But let me share with you today a couple of things that he talks about as far as marriage, really as far as all relationships. And so this is not just about being married. But the example that we have that he gives is specifically for marriage. And certainly that's a higher relationship than just a friend. And yet we need to recognize all of them develop the same. Jesus is asked a question in Matthew chapter 19 about divorce. And so as the Pharisees come to him and ask him this question, I want you to be aware of how he answers. Matthew 19.3, And the disciples came up to him to test him by asking him, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, we're not talking about divorce today, and so I don't want to, that's a much bigger topic to deal with, but I want you to see what he does say about this situation with marriage. And so as they come to test him, Jesus quotes the same passage that we just read from Genesis. You hold on to each other. You leave father and mother. You are, God has made you to be together. God has joined you together. There is a physical connection that you make together whereby you become one flesh And you are to hold on to each other. So God is joining physical connection and holding on to each other. Well, which one of those is not working? Is it the fact that God is no longer holding you together or joining you together? Well, no, God doesn't go back on that. Once he joins you together, he says, this is going to be it. This is going to be for, for all time. And so it's, God didn't change. Well, is it, a, is it a lack of physical connection? No, we're usually pretty good at that one. And we do a pretty good job of figuring out that one. That one is usually going to be good. 
Is it because we quit holding on to each other? And I think that might be where the issue comes in. Leaving everything else, you hold on to them. Every other person, every other job, every other situation, every other hobby, everything else, you hold on to them. And that's what he's trying to describe here. There is one focus. There are three things I think that Jesus does that I want to give you today that specifically hold marriages together. One is he holds them because he is responsible for his bride. Number two is he holds them together because of love. And he is the one who loves first. Number three is he holds them together because of forgiveness and grace. And so those three things, I think Jesus is the leader in all of this. And he says, I'm going to give you this part, and I will give you all of these things. And so when we look at this scripture in Ephesians, and it talks about a husband and wife, I want you to realize that these are the things that he's talking about as he talks about this concept of what he does. So in Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right? No one likes this passage, especially not wives. And so when you look at this passage, what is Jesus really trying to say? What is it that Paul gets across as he gives Jesus the example of how this should work? And so he says, submit to husbands like you do to Jesus. And so Jesus is involved in this. And if you don't know how to do it like you do to Jesus, then maybe there's the issue in this already. Because we have to believe Jesus could hold us. And that we could submit to him and that he would be able to hold on to us and that we would be good. It's hard for anyone to trust another person. And it might be especially hard for a woman to trust a man because, guys, we don't have the best reputation. Now, I think Jesus does. And so, can you trust Jesus? Would you give Jesus a chance? I think with Jesus, we give each other a chance. And that's what this is all about. This idea of submission is scary. How can you do this? What if it fails? Well, there's a whole lot of things that you do in your life that you may have to realize this is, you've got to try it. You've got to start. Did you drive here? Do you know how to drive do you remember that first time you got in and hadn't ever driven before? And there's three pedals. You're like, why are there three pedals? I've got a gas, I've got a brake, and I've got a other pedal. And I don't know what to do with the other pedal. How would I have any idea on what to do with that? Well, it's the clutch. And you know what you've got to do. You push in the clutch and you... The car starts and you, at some point you've got to let the clutch out. And sure enough, you let it out and the car does one of these and, that's, and it stops because you didn't do it right. So, okay. And you 
try it again and you try, if you never let out the clutch and never push on the gas, you are never going to go anywhere. But at some point in your life, you figured out, I've got to let out the clutch and I've got to put on the gas and then I can go and then I can drive and it gets better and it gets easier and you're able to do it. You all made it here. Otherwise, you'd be stuck in your house looking online. How many people have been snow skiing? I know I'm in Arizona. Why am I asking that? There is a point at which you have to point the tips of your skis downhill. Okay, right? Everybody who's been, you understand this. So they drag you on this chair all the way up to the top of the mountain, and here you are at the top of the mountain looking down and going, well, how am I going to get down? You're going to fall down. That's how you're going to get down. But the very simple solution is you're either going to slide down on your rear end or at some point you have to take the risk that you will fall. And so you point the tips of your skis downhill and for the first three seconds it's a little bit scary because gravity takes over and you are going it's and you hit the first turn and you realize okay I can turn I can stop but there's that moment out of control when you first go over the edge that might be what it's like for a woman to trust a man There's that moment where you're not sure this is going to work. But if you don't take it, you're not going to get there. And that's kind of what it's like. Is is it going to work? Am I going to have control? Am I going to be able to hold on to this? And skiing is so much great fun. You guys don't know what you're missing. And so is marriage, by the way. If you're going to skydive, you're not going to skydive unless you get pushed out of the plane, hopefully jump out of the plane. No skydiving without that. Do we trust Christ and his church? That's really what it comes down to. Can we trust him that far? Men and women both need to submit to Christ. And in fact, the verse before this says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so it does not leave men out. Men, you need to submit to Christ also. And if a husband can submit to Christ, maybe a wife can submit to him. If he can't submit to Christ, then he doesn't understand what submission is all about. And he may not be able to do a good job of leading her. But if a husband is able to submit to Christ, then he understands it. He knows what it's like. He knows how scary it is. And when he understands what submission to Christ means, maybe there's a chance this can make it. So if he's a Christian, does he follow Christ? Does he really do that and submit to Christ? And then he can have patience with her. The next section deals more with husbands 
And so in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. A lot of things in this passage. We're not going to be able to unpack all of them. I just want to give you three things that Jesus talks about here. The first one is that Jesus is the example of the responsible husband. He is the one who says, I will do this. I will take charge of this. I will be the one that goes first. I will be the one who leads this. And so he is the first one in taking responsibility and accountability for this situation, for this marriage. Without that, you have some difficulty. You've all played dominoes where you stack them up and you tip over the first one and, man, they're going to go. Everything is going to be laid out unless... Somebody stops it and says, it is not going to go any further. That's him. Because sometimes in our life, we get lost and caught into the wrong things, and it doesn't go well, and we're a mess, and it's not working out, and Jesus comes and he says, that's enough. That stops. And we finally get some control back. And so he says the same thing about a husband, that you would... Do this, that you would take responsibility for it. It is your place. It's your job. And that you're accountable for it. And Jesus does that. And if it isn't perfect, he works on it till it is working better. I don't know that we ever get it perfect. And Jesus had us. How hard are we to deal with? How easy is it for you to respond to Jesus? Does it really matter who's at fault? Jesus says, I'll be responsible to get it going again. And he works on his relationship with his bride. And this passage describes Jesus and his bride. The second one is, if you love the way Jesus loves. And Jesus does this on purpose. He starts... Always love with God is described as God so loved the world, or God loved first. And then the other person learns how to respond to that love. Some people didn't start out with love. They were supposed to. It was supposed to be in the marriage. It was supposed to be as they grew up as children that they learned how to love and how to be loved. But sometimes they didn't. And so you have to start all over again and teach what love's about and how does that. And it's the way that Jesus loves. And so he starts with this concept of love and being able to love them and not just love them as an enemy, but he loves his church as his friends. 
as people he loves and cares about. The word is agapao. It means a warm regard and interest in another. It means affection for them. It means he cherishes them. It means he is going to love them. And the husband shows how to love. Because God says that. God says, husband, you do this. Well, either that or you've decided, no, I'm not going to follow what Jesus wants. And so the closer we are to Jesus as people, the more it draws these things together. And the third one is we need to forgive like Jesus. Jesus makes forgiveness and cleansing possible. He is the one who does this. He, there has to be a way to get rid of mistakes in a marriage. Because if you've been married for more than three days, you know that there are mistakes that happen. And there are things that go wrong. And there are times when you're going to have to do this. And you, so you have to be able to do this. And Jesus finds a way for forgiveness to happen. He pays the price. But what's great about this is he pays the price for both of us in our relationship. It isn't like you have to kill the husband, wives, I mean, seriously. That, that may not be the solution because Jesus has already died and says, you know what, put it on me. And so there is a way for forgiveness to happen. And one person can forgive another because Jesus holds it together. He is the one who makes this forgiveness possible because he is the one who gives grace. And grace is forgiving and grace is for giving grace to someone else that they might have grace from God and that they might have grace from someone else. And when we do something wrong, Jesus forgives. And when we do something wrong, we forgive each other. And Jesus makes it possible to have relationships even with all the mistakes. It's important for us to realize these things. Jesus holds it together. And when a husband and wife are closer to Jesus, the closer they get to Jesus, the more they are held together by Jesus. And you're going to see him being part of this. And they've promised to love. They've promised to... to do what's best for each other. They found common ground, and Jesus is the one who says, now here's what we do with the rest of this. Because it's not always simple. It's not always what makes the difference. And Jesus is the one who starts. There are a lot of people who are not Christians. And that may be the reason why we have so many divorces. I wish I could say that was the case and that when you find people who are Christians, well, it, it's solved. It never happens. It's really not any better inside the church than outside the church. And yet, if we're not Christians, then we realize that they don't love Jesus. I mean, because if you love somebody, you're going to do what's best and what they say and that isn't the case if we're not Christians. Our response to God is love, and, well, no, we don't really care that much. They don't have forgiveness. They don't have grace. 
And so it's harder for them to give forgiveness or grace. They don't have any promises. No one has given them anything for the future to hold on to or to look forward to. They don't have his word and they don't give him their word. There's no history of things in common with Jesus. And so there's no holiness to stand on. There's no goodwill to stand on. And if you have a person who won't do that to Jesus, how are they going to do that with you? It becomes increasingly difficult. And so it is important for husbands and wives to stay together, to study together, to be part of what Jesus does. Because Jesus holds marriage. And he is the one who has the foundation for how we can do this. The closer we are to Jesus, the more things we develop for marriage. And the more we develop, the more we develop in a lot of other ways. Because some of you are not married, that's fine. Some of you have been divorced, that's where we are. Let's figure out what to do with that now. You can only marry one person. It's not good if you've got three or four, okay? They're not going to like each other. They're not going to get along with each other. It's just not going to work out well. And so you can marry one, but you can be friends with a lot more. And so this develops relationships in a much bigger way. The bond of Jesus is a bond with his church as he brings people together and as he ties them together. And you don't have to marry each other, but you can take these same principles that Jesus does for his church, his bride, and say, let me use this with everybody else too. And it's amazing how well it works. That if you are forgiving, if you are grace-given, if you are a person who loves other people, that it's amazing how well they respond to you. It's amazing what they can do. So work on your relationship with Jesus first, and then he's going to help all other relationships that you have. And that's really what happens, isn't it? We would have a great relationship And we should all act like this. So be careful how you talk to each other. Talk with grace. Talk with love. We should be best at friendship because we understand how Jesus did this. We should be best at marriage and promises because we have Jesus as the example. And we should have this great relationship in Christ And if we have that, wouldn't it show up on on social media? You would think somewhere as we spread our life out to other people and say, I did this, here's a picture. I did this, here's a picture. I went here, here's a picture. Wouldn't you think that some of that would show over into our Facebook or our Instagram or something like that? Wouldn't your Facebook look like a love chapter? Wouldn't Jesus' Facebook look like a love chapter? Here's somebody I love. Here's a picture of somebody I love. Here's another person I love. Here's a person that I love. If it doesn't, I'd say there's something wrong with our relationship with Jesus. 
Somehow we've got to get back to this and look at what Jesus did for us and we need to respond to Jesus. What would that look like? And maybe we struggle in our relationships because we don't really remember how to follow Jesus. It's pretty clear He gave you a lot of things to go by, and he is there to hold it all together. And if he can hold atoms together, if he can hold gravity so that, you know, you haven't once flown up and hit the ceiling, he can hold your relationships together when you act like him. Because you look at how he was on this earth, and you see a lot of people angry with him. And a lot of people upset at him. And he was loving to them all. And he gave grace to them all. And so let me just ask you, how is your relationship with Jesus today? Do you need to do something about that?